Welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week, we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a place and a space to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Someday is Here. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and I am just thrilled that you are here for the ride. Um, I am honored to introduce to you today's guest, Darina Gilmore Young. She uh, was at our Someday's Here live event. She is such an articulate woman, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode as we talk through so many different facets of her journey. Uh, Darina has an MFA in children's literature, and she's published three multicultural children's books and a collection of poetry. Uh, her book, Cora. Cook's Ponset received the Asian American Librarians Association Picture Book of the Year. Um, Those books were actually available for sale at our Someday's Here event. And she also is going to be uh, releasing a book that we'll be sure to let you know about that has everything to do with running and keeping perspective on life and spiritual health and all of that. So she is just so fantastic. Dorina is the granddaughter of a Filipino, Hawaiian, Chinese, and Italian immigrants. And she was raised in Chicago, um, then has spent time in Fresno, California. So she's now considers herself a Californian. So uh, she was so kind to drive all the way down from Fresno to be a part of the Sundays here live event. And uh, Darina is a woman of great depth, and she really articulates and shares very vulnerably about her journey um, as her husband passed away from cancer in 2014. And even the story of redemption and the thread of redemption throughout her life. And I am so excited for you to to hear Dorina and get to know her better. And for those of you that were at the live event, I know you already love her. So this is going to be so fun for you to be able to hear more of her story. So enjoy. This week's Did You Know is a little known fact, unfortunately, but very profound. It is the story of Edward Day Cahota. I hope I'm pronouncing his, his name correctly, but he was a Civil War veteran who fought for the Union um, and other significant battles in Virginia. He went on to serve for 30 years in the Army and married and had six kids and settled down in the Midwest to start a business. Um, Kohita was unlike most Civil War veterans because he was Chinese, adopted by a merchant ship captain who discovered him as a half-starved boy. And um, he, his boat 
was named the Kohita. So after he left Shanghai, he arrived in the United States in the 1850s. So it's a little known fact, but there were Chinese that fought in the Civil War in the 1850s. And he um, was highly patriotic. He raised and lowered his flag in front of his house every day. As I've shared earlier in uh, earlier podcasts, the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882 prohibited Chinese immigrants from becoming naturalized citizens. And so Kohita never became a U.S. citizen. He died in 1935, followed by an unsuccessful decades-long battle for citizenship. So um, it's a tragedy. He did all for his country, served 30 years, but his country didn't recognize him. And that's this week's Did You Know? Welcome to Someday is Here. I can't believe we're in season two already. And I am so thrilled to have a guest today to introduce to you the beautiful Darina Gilmore Young. And Darina, um, we are getting acquainted over this conversation so it's almost like a coffee a coffee get to know you but we have several mutual friends and uh Doreen I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners Vivian it is such a joy to be here and this podcast has been um just such a ministry to my heart so I feel very honored to be in this conversation and I have followed you and just been inspired by you from afar. So it feels like a sweet blessing that I'd actually get to have this coffee chat with you. Um, my name is Darina, like we said, and I have three daughters. So I'm first a mama. I have an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old. So I'm in the throes of elementary school and junior high, and I'm married to Sean Young. Um, we live here in Central California in Fresno, and I am an author and speaker. That's my um, profession at this time, and just involved in lots of fun projects and love leading as well. Oh, well, it's such a great honor to meet you. Is it raining up in Fresno right now? You know what? Surprisingly, it is raining. I went for a run this morning through the rain, and we rarely have rain in Fresno, but it is beautiful. It's it's not the cold, windy kind of rain, which I don't like, <laughs> but it does make me want to sit by my fire and read books and cozy That's up in right. the best pajamas. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it rarely rains in California, period, and it rarely rains in Southern California, so it's like headline news, and we're kind of spoiled, I think, in California. Like anything under 72 is cold and anything over 78 is hot, so, so we're having a, a remarkable weather, you know headline type of day. So, well, Darina, tell, I would love for you to share with our listeners some of your ethnic journey, your background, um, just who you are and where, uh, where your roots come from. Well, I love that question. Um, I grew up in Chicago in the south side of the city, and I grew up in what I would call a very multicultural or multi-ethnic family. So my mom's family is from Italy. They're Italian-American immigrants, and she has some um, Jewish heritage in there as well. And then my dad's family is predominantly Filipino. My grandparents immigrated from the Philippines originally to Hawaii. Mm. And we have um, part of our ethnic heritage there also is Polynesian or Hawaiian and Chinese. And we have some Eastern Indian 
Um, so we are a big mix in our family. <laughs> and we, we grew up very much aware of our multi-ethnic heritage, partly because my mom was a school teacher. She was an elementary teacher for more than 30 years. And so she taught social studies. She taught cultures of the world. She was a folk dance teacher. She's an amazing cook. And so there was so much of our ethnic heritage that was really celebrated as we grew up. And we attended a, a school, a private school on the south side of Chicago um, called Morgan Park Academy. And so I had the privilege of going to school with friends from really all over the world. My close group of friends, um, one was Jewish and a couple were Christian and one was Muslim and one was Hindu and one was from mm -hmm. a Buddhist background and representing a lot of different countries. So that is something that I didn't realize at the time, but is actually very, very unique. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love, um, well, my husband is a quarter Okinawan, um, Portuguese and Hawaiian, or actually half Okinawan, quarter Portuguese, quarter Hawaiian, grew up in, Hapa. <laughs> yes, Hapa, grew up in Asia. And then, so my kids are now half Chinese, quarter Okinawan and on and on. So the mixed race experience is very unique in pulling traits from all sorts of different places. I'd love for you to unpack a little bit of what that was like for you growing up. Um, when people saw you, you know, what are some of the things that they would say? Um, what would they think that you were, you know, when they tried to guess your ethnicity? I would love to hear some of that. Yeah, you know, that's definitely a part of my cultural journey. And some of that is positive and some of that was challenging at different times. Um, probably the most common question that I would get growing up is, what are you anyway? <laughs> so <laughs> people would kind of look at me and, and say, well, I, you know, or they would guess. But th because of the mixed heritage and, and what I look like physically, you know, a lot of times people weren't sure what my ethnic background was. Um, and in most cases, my mom kind of taught me to do this it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to share about, you know, being multicultural and our ethnic heritage. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say I identified with just one culture because of that way that we were raised. Um, mm. But I also did feel sometimes the pain point of that, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood, although I went to that very multicultural private school, I grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly Irish Catholic. And so mm -hmm. I remember being a young person and um, one of the girls down the street saying, are you Catholic or public? And I was not really <laughs> sure how to answer that question, but that was her frame of reference because it was kids at Catholic school or kids at public school. And uh -huh. so I was at a private school and I assumed she was talking about my ethnic heritage. So my answer was Christian. <laughs> it was very confusing. Yes. Um, but I think, you know, one of the gifts of being from a multi-ethnic heritage is that I have the opportunity also to be a bridge in a lot of spaces. Mm. Um, and, you know, where I live in Fresno now, we have a lot of, um, for example, Armenians. Mm -hmm. My husband, Eric Lee, um, his family was a quarter is a quarter Armenian. So a lot of people think that I have Armenian heritage and that my uh -huh. mother-in-law is my mom. Um, and then also um, I, I have several people who have through the years asked me if I was Indian, which mm. we only recently found out about our Eastern Indian heritage through doing an ancestry.com. So it's kind of fun because I've always loved Indian food and I actually am part Indian. <laughs> wow. That's, would you recommend that the ancestry? 
You know, it was really fun for our family. We gave it as gifts to our, to the grandparents. And so we had my dad and my mom and my in-laws do it. And so we got Mm. to discover some more nuances to our history. I love that. What a great idea. That is fantastic. Well, I I know that your part of your journey and your story is um, living, having um, your husband pass away at a certain point. You've, you're now remarried. So there's a, you know, just a new chapter. I would love for you um, to share any part of that story. I would just love for our listeners to get to know more of more of Darina's story. Thank you. Yeah, that is definitely a big part of my journey um, in the last five years. My husband, Eric Lee, we got married in 2003. And like I mentioned, he comes from a heritage that is part Armenian and then Scottish. And so we joined and made our family even more mixed <laughs> when we got married. We had Scottish bagpipes in our wedding and we had um, Italian cookies and Filipino food and <laughs> just all I the love things. it. <laughs> but um, when I married him, another unique part of that story is that we met on a mission trip to Haiti and mm. his grandparents were pioneer missionaries in Haiti. And so I fell in love with the country of Haiti first And then along the journey, fell in love with the grandson of these missionaries, um, Eric Lee. And so part of what I was also entering into was a life of mission work. Um, When we got married, we knew that we were going to be connected with Haiti. And we started a nonprofit organization together there in Haiti. Um, And and one of my favorite things that I got to do is I actually started a, a fair trade jewelry project called the Haitian Bead Project. Wow. So our married life, I mentioned that context because our married life was very much um, lived kind of in tandem back and forth between Fresno, California and, and Haiti, the northern mountains of Haiti. And Eric Lee and I um, were married, goodness, almost, what was it, 12 years. And in 2014, he was diagnosed with stage four melanoma cancer. So that came to us like a sucker punch in the gut. Um, He was a very healthy guy. He was a nutrition teacher and a CrossFit coach, a triathlete. Um, So we saw this this injury on his hip, which turned out to be a tumor, but um, doctors and, and different professionals for several months thought it was a sports injury because he had done so many athletic things. Um, so when that diagnosis came in May of that year, it, it blindsided us. Mm-hmm. Um, everything in our ministry and our lives came to a screeching halt because obviously we had to deal with that diagnosis and stage four, you know, there isn't stage five. It's a very grave diagnosis. So mm-hmm. that was a very difficult um, summer for us as his health deteriorated very quickly. And he went to heaven in September of that year. Wow. So at, at the time, my daughters were ages two, five, and eight. So suddenly I was a mama navigating grief with three young girls, which was not in my wheelhouse, right. <laughs> and trying to figure out what to do with this nonprofit organization, which at the time was thriving, but I knew that I couldn't um, continue sort of directing and managing on my own. Wow. Um, So we, you know, just to kind of fast forward through that story, I did make the decision to step back from our mission work in Haiti. And we had some wonderful people that for years um, 
God had been raising up and my husband had been training. And so I was able to, in confidence, kind of turn that over. It was Mm. definitely a secondary kind of loss for me. But God had an amazing plan and I had no idea what that was. (laughs) Um, And so through, through this plan of staying home, being in California, I went back to teaching at the university and um, reconnected with a dear friend of ours, a man named Sean, who actually I originally met on that first trip to Haiti. He was one of my husband, Eric Lee's very good friends. He was also Mm. an athlete and a runner. And through the years, Sean had been one of our greatest supporters. He prayed for us in our ministry. He visited us. He supported us financially. And we, Eric Lee and I, often prayed for Sean's future wife. He was one of our single friends and our, one of our favorites. And so we spent a lot of time praying over him, never knowing or believing that God would write this wild story and that I would be praying for myself. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so long story short, in 2016, Sean and I got married and, and we've been married almost four years. And God gifted my girls a new daddy. They have a daddy in heaven and a daddy on earth. Mm. And um, I'm living what I call the next chapter, Mm. (laughs) facing God's glory in this new life that I never planned, but I'm deeply grateful for. Wow. That's a lot to walk through. And in... um, it's, I think, you know, cancer has touched my life. I'm a breast cancer survivor. And so um, having those young kids at home and thinking about what that's like to navigate, you know, with the young kids, was there, were there things that you found that were helpful for you during that time? Like, um, and, and for listeners who might be in a time of just loss and grief, are there some words that you could share that were just, for you kind of anchors? Yeah. You know, I think for me just, um, I have a strong faith and God's presence was really powerful to me during that time. Um, the Bible and his word were just anchors for me. If you use Mm -hmm. that word anchors and I, I have this hope in my heart that I will see my husband, Eric Lee, another, you know, in heaven in the Mm -hmm. future. And so that was something that I taught my girls and that we clung to that, um, you know, daddy was in heaven, but that wasn't forever. And so that was kind of what helped to root us. And I would say the other thing, you know, I didn't, I didn't know this as like a strategy (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. for encountering and navigating grief, but just the presence of community. There were Mm -hmm. so many people that surrounded us. And for me, just to press into that to, you know, for many years, I had been the servant. I had been the missionary. I had been the one pouring out to others. And to just be able to receive Mm -hmm. um, that our community wanted to feed us and they wanted Mm -hmm. to travel with us and they wanted to gift us um, things um, and probably the most meaningful were the people who actually just came and sat with us. Mm. So that presence, that ministry of presence, I like to call it was the greatest gift. Um, Friends who just did life with us. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Uh, I love how you, um, 
have continued to honor, you know, Eric Lee in your in your life and in your work and how beautiful that your husband Sean, you know, knows him, knew him, you know, that that's that is really rare to have that. Um how how do you go about like talking with your daughters, you know, about their daddy in heaven and how do you keep um, his memory fresh for them um, as they get older? You know, that's been something that's really important to me. Um, I do have a really unique situation because Sean knows Eric Lee and he can tell stories about him and he is grieving with us as he comforts Mm. us. So we have just a sweetness of connection that I know um, other widows who remarried don't necessarily have that scenario, but we do a couple of things that we, we like to honor Eric Lee with. Um, we always have what we call a heaven anniversary party in September. And this, this will speak a bit to the fact that I am an Enneagram seven. I'm an enthusiast. I'm a foodie. <laughs> I love community. <laughs> so not everyone grieves this way. <laughs> but to me, to have a party on September 9th, which was the day that my husband went to heaven, is perfect. It's, it's what I believe he would have wanted. Mm. And what we do is we invite different friends every year. And I try to choose friends who were close to him, who would be willing to come and share stories with my girls. <gasps> wow. So really a storytelling event. I mean, it's food because everything with me centers around food, but <laughs> it's about eating and it's about sharing stories around the circle. Mm. And that's become something really meaningful for us. And, and I realized that to me, it's part of keeping his legacy alive. Yeah. He was just, you know, a very influential man. He was a leader. He was gregarious. He had a strong faith. And so for my kids to continue to hear those stories about daddy and how he influenced other people yeah, um, is an important part of keeping his legacy alive. Mm, that is so beautiful. Um, so beautiful. I love so many parts of that. Uh, okay. Now as I wipe the tears, <laughs> um, I would love switching gears really quick. I know you are an author and a speaker and I remember one of the First post that I saw once we started following each other on Instagram is a book that you wrote, a children's book about Ponset. Is that correct? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, there's a children's book that I published 10 years ago now. I can't believe that my baby is a decade old, um, but it's called Cora Cook's Ponset. And it is a fictional story about a little girl named Cora who is learning how to cook a traditional Filipino dish a noodle dish. And my grandma's name was Cora. And I originally got the idea for this book because my grandma had passed away um, as the, the same year that I graduated from college. And I had this book in my heart because I realized that a lot of my cousins and people in my generation, we didn't know how to make the food. We had certain jobs that grandma would let us do, but mm. to make the dishes on our own was a different thing. And so part of it was keeping my family legacy and history alive through the telling of this story and the recipe that's shared in the book. Um, so I wrote this book thinking about the little Filipino American girls who needed to see themselves in the pages of a book because yes. I was that girl when I was little and I was an avid reader and I was just 
always looking for books that mm. were about people of color because that was a meaningful part of my identity. Mm. But there weren't as many books about Filipino Americans when I was a kid. I mean, there's still not enough as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's yes. more now. And so that book, when I wrote it, I had no idea what God would do with it because it's not only like a mirror for all these Filipino American kids who can connect with the story, but it's also kind of a window for other readers to learn about Filipino heritage. Mm. So for the last 10 years, I've been spending a lot of time um, just speaking in schools, visiting classrooms, teaching kids how to make ponset, talking about mm. culture and how food is an entry to that. So that's kind of the story of my Cora book. I can't believe she's 10 years old. <laughs> that's so fantastic. I love, I love the, the significance in your grandma's name and the food. And that's so central to the Asian American experience, for sure, the food, which is a great segue to ask in light of all of the different flavors you've been exposed to. Do you have any favorite Asian comfort foods? Okay, so this is a horribly hard question for me. <laughs> imagine <laughs> so, I imagine so, Darina. <laughs> 18 different things I could tell you. If I had mm -hmm. to settle on one, it is probably lumpia. Mm. Lumpia is like the Filipino egg roll. So lumpia is just something special. My kids love it when we have lumpia. But we make a lot of other things too. We make chicken adobo and of course we make pancit. Um from my mom's side of the family, she's Italian. So a lot of our holidays and traditions circle around, um, you know, making Italian pizza cookies and butternut squash ravioli. And Ooh, are we hungry so yet? <laughs> yes, we are. We're ready for lunch. We should be sitting down over food instead of just coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Oh, that's fantastic. That is so fantastic. Well, I would love, you know, I, you know, you've had experience in leading a nonprofit and, you know, in your current circle, you're, uh, am I understanding you're working, you're writing a book right now? Is that correct? Yes. I actually just turned in my manuscript to my editor. So. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Every, celebrate every milestone. It's like every time it comes back and then the copy edits and the page proofs. Oh, I'm so excited. And when does the book release? So in September of 2020, so next year, okay. the book is called Walk, Run, Soar. And it's actually a devotional that's um, specifically for Christian runners. Mm. Uh, my husband, Sean, and I are both runners and he uh, professionally coaches and we coach track and field and, and cross country. So it's kind of a unique project because he wrote coaching tips and I wrote more of the devotional reflections in that. Okay. Oh, that sounds totally fantastic. <laughs> yeah, totally different. I love that. I, I might need to have to read that. I'm I'm a sometimes runner. I'm <laughs> it's even I was, for walkers. <laughs> yes, okay. So I do you know are you familiar with the um the app Couch to 5K? Yes. So I, I have completed that at one point and then you know Go something happened, like you know. So I think I was afraid of the water and the rain, so you know, I fell off, but I keep having these visions to start again. So perhaps you're your book will help me. <laughs> That's so great. So anyway, going back to that. So as um, as a speaker, as an author, um, having had experience with a nonprofit, leading, doing missions, international, all of that, uh, do you have 
leadership lessons that you kind of direct your life by or teach your daughters or those that you influence? What, what would be some of them? You know, I have three that I'm going to mention, and I wrote a Bible study that's called Flourishing Together, and I actually I speak on this a lot, these three mm-hmm. principles, because they're part of my Bible study. Um, the first one is collaboration over comparison. And I'm really passionate about this idea of collaborating with other leaders. And in my mm-hmm. case, in this season of my life, that's collaborating with other women. But I think that we live in this world, especially with social media, where the default is comparison. Mm. scrolling through Instagram. It's looking what other people are doing in their lives because we have this contact and this window into the world. And so I feel really passionate about this idea that we are better together, that we Mm -hmm. actually are designed by God to flourish together in community. And, you know, not only have I lived that in my own life and my own grief journey, I never would have survived the last five years if I didn't have community lifting me up. Um, But Mm. I've also seen that in the ministry world, in the business world, that we are that much more um, powerful. And I'll use the word synergy. We have a synergy when we come together Mm. that really multiplies um, our mission, whatever that mission is. So that's one of them is collaboration over comparison and you know, that's something that I teach my kids too, which of course, Mm. having three girls, (laughs) there's always peace in the home. So we we talk about that a lot. You know, what does it mean to be Gilmore girls? Because our last name is Gilmore. Oh my goodness. How perfect (laughs) is that? (laughs) Yeah. How do we, how do we come together? How do we lift each other up? Mm. Uh, The second one is diversity over division. And what I mean by this is that I think it's really valuable for us to actually seek out diversity. We Mm. live in this time where there is so much going on in our culture, just um, with racism and Mm -hmm. school shootings and, you know, things that are motivated by differences in religion. And so for me, it's, um, it's really important to be on teams and to create teams where there's diversity. Mm. So cultural diversity, and then even the diversity um, that comes from incorporating different generations. That's right. I love the idea of mentoring. Um, I am mentoring a younger mama. Um, so that is another thing that's really important to me. Um, I think, and then the third one, I, the way I say it is presence over pride. And I talked about this a little bit earlier that, that we have a, an opportunity as leaders to minister to each other or to lift each other up by being present for people. But we have to be vulnerable in order to enter into that. Mm-hmm. And so when people are grieving, to be present with them. Um, when I'm leading alongside someone else who is navigating trauma or racism or sexism or some kind of um, difficulty or tension in their family or their marriage to be present with them is really important to me. Mm. And I think about how um, one, one of the stories in the Bible is of Ruth and Naomi, and that has been very influential on in my life. Ruth 
and Naomi were both widows. And so I often teach about that story. The thing that I think is so unique about that is that Ruth was this younger widow, Naomi being this older widow, and how they forged this relationship and they flourished together with God's Mm -hmm. help. And it was just really because they were present with each other. And mm-hmm. even in the beginning, Naomi was very much trying to push Ruth away and say, you know, go, go find um, your happiness and your success without me because I'm bitter about my life and losing my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because of Ruth's bravery and her being a risk taker to be present with Naomi. Mm. They have this beautiful story that comes together. Wow. Oh, that's so, so good. I, I, I imagine... For you, having walked through it as a as a widow, that when you read that story, it has a whole layer of understanding that um, it just reminds me of how how this diversity piece, how important it is that we spend time with people who ha- who experience very different things. And so, whether it's you know um, you know as a Christian myself, you know when I am exposed to different viewpoints. Um, life is enriched. And so for my friends who've walked through infertility mm-hmm. and for them to talk about the story of Elizabeth or Hannah in the Bible and, you know, they, their experience is so um, personalized. And in the same way, widowhood, being a widow for you, um, it just adds so much more um, a pause that I probably would have just read over you know, so I just think I, I 100% agree with what you're sharing. It just, we, we are better together and we learn more together and our, our lives enrich one another as we share these different experiences. So that is so true and that's so beautiful. Wow. So I, I'm thinking about, you know, your story and I'm thinking about how, um, well, What's so beautiful about hearing just a bit of it, which makes me just hungry and thirsty for more. So we'll, somehow we need to reconnect again <laughs> because there's more to more layers and more to unpack. But I wonder, Dorina, with um, with just the tensions that you see now, and as a woman with a mixed background, your your ethnic identity, your cultural uh, infusions of so many mm-hmm. things, um, what are what would be some Maybe um, counsel that you would give to our polarized country right now. Like I, I, my, um, I feel like it's a dumpster fire sometimes, and people are unable to hear each other anymore. And people draw these deep lines in the sand, and we um, start to get very protective of our camps, whether whatever that place may be. And I, I would just, I, I think that. You know, you were talking about bridge, and I do think um, Asian Americans are part of the. I think are part of the solution with the bridging, but I think even more so, those who have a mixed race background can mm-hmm. speak into our situation in a, in a way. So I would just love for you, whatever comes to mind, but you could speak to that a little bit. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you know, that's a good question, and I'm sure we could talk about it for a long time. I think what just quickly kind of comes to mind for me and this is because it's also one of my passions, is that there's power in story. Mm. We share our stories with each other and truly listen to someone else's story, um, that that's the beginning of kind of crossing over that bridge. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously I'm a children's writer and then I write for adults as well. Um, I, I also write for Encourage, which is a website um, through Dayspring. And all of those avenues, I believe, are using story to create that bridge. And I think a lot of times we are just at the surface level with people. I mean, this is one of the things I love about your podcast is that you've gone really deep with the different Asian American women that you've invited. And so for me, being a woman of color, being from Asian American heritage, it, it resonates. It's something mm-hmm. affirming because I haven't heard it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think that speaks to the fact that we have a lot of stories that are, are not told or they're just told in sort of our closed family circles. And so mm-hmm. if we would be extending those circles, um, if we would continue to tell those stories. And in some ways it means, you know, there's mainstream spaces where um, we need people to leverage their privileges to open those doors and to invite others to share their stories. Mm-hmm. I think about the if gathering and just, um, you know, how meaningful it was for me when I first saw you on the if gathering stage, because it was like, okay, here's an Asian American woman. And in mm-hmm. some ways you speak the way I do in sharing cultural stories and in teaching God's word. And so it, for me as a, a young leader, it was like, oh, someone else is doing this. I can do mm-hmm. this. There's footsteps mm-hmm. to follow. Yeah. And so I really appreciate the way that Jenny Allen um, has opened that space mm-hmm. for women from different cultural backgrounds and geographic backgrounds and even economic backgrounds to share their stories. And I think that's just one example where it's kind of happened organically, but mm-hmm there's an affirming that happens in the audience for someone like me. And there's also an, an eye opening and heart opening that happens Mm. in those stories that are told. Mm. Oh, I so resonate with what you're saying. I think for so long, we in the Asian American community, we've just been scanning the bookshelves, Mm -hmm. scanning the conference brochures, scanning, you know, um, you know, what's primetime TV even and trying to find that, that connection point. Um, have you seen, um, there's a, right now it's going around, there's a Star Wars, a Filipino ad for Star Wars. No, I just posted it on seen it. Facebook because, okay, so I can't spoil, oh, I guess I'll have to spoil it. So that's hopefully okay. by the time people hear this episode, they'll have seen it, but it's a Filipino, two Filipino boys. So it's all in Tagalog because it was shown in the Philippines, but they are running around town getting all of these materials to do this thing. So they're building an, a spaceship. That's the Star Wars one. And then they invite a neighbor over. And so they put the neighbor girl in the chair and they're um, squirting like um, scents and they have like, you know, confetti and different things like the chair bounces. So it kind of goes with the movie. And then they're exhausted when it's all done. And then they ask, and then they use sign language. What did you think? And then she said, I loved it. So they made this whole experience for her to watch Star Wars in a way for her as someone who's deaf. You know, and oh, I just lost it watching that because it was so unexpected, you know, because it looked from the extra. So even including the ASL community, like that's part of our. Um, being aware and looking around and seeing and representation matters. So that is so great. I love it. I'm going to look for that. My daughter, yes. my little daughter is a Star Wars enthusiast. So yes, 
<laughs> yeah, okay. It's on my Facebook page. I just shared it again from a friend who just shared it. So I'll, I'll make sure you get that. But um, I'm, I'm curious too, like your writing, can you share a little bit of like how you became a writer, like some of that story? Yes. Um, actually, I started writing when I was a little girl. I am one of those people who wanted to be a writer since first grade. And I had this wonderful teacher named Mrs. Kaczynski. And I remember, I always tell this story when I'm in the schools. I wrote this story about two unicorns who fell in love. Unicorns <laughs> <laughs> were a thing. And um, strategically named the, the other unicorn after the boy that I liked in my class. And <laughs> I remember that my teacher, she wrote these just sweet comments about my writing and how romantic and how detailed it was. And it was just kind of that seed that she planted in my heart as a little girl. Um, so as I grew up, I, I pursued journalism. I actually worked as a newspaper reporter for several years wow. and I got my feet wet in um, daily journalism. And then I started when I did a graduate program actually in children's literature. So that helped me kind of pursue this dream that I had since I was little to write children's books. Hmm. I moved into children's books and I've been doing children's books for the last probably decade. But I also, in the last few years, because of my grief journey, I wrote a lot about my grief journey and my faith and that intersection. So I've been writing more for adults and specifically mm. women. Um, so that's a bit of my writing journey. There's so many different, you know, back roads and dips in the road and forks in the road and, <laughs> and all yep. of that. But I really have always wanted to be a writer. So in some ways, I feel like, oh, I'm... I'm living the dream. I'm, I'm publishing mm. books. Um, the unexpected part of it was being a speaker. That is something I never anticipated. In fact, I was always terrified of public speaking. And, you know, this is, I believe what God does sometimes is he turns things around and, and uses something very unexpected. So I'm still a storyteller. I'm still a messenger, but I'm also using my voice. Mm. I'm just writing the story down. Wow. I love that. It just gave me goosebumps. It's interesting because I think that there are writers who are speakers and speakers who are writers. And um, it, I, the writing part for me is so, um, I feel so insecure about writing because it just feels so, so permanent and it's just out there. Whereas in speaking, most people forget what you say. <laughs> after a certain amount of time. And so there's a sense that, you know, I can be continuing to grow and evolve and think through different things. But once it's in print, it feels so permanent and it feels so exposed. And uh, I, and I love a well-written book. Um, so I, I struggle with that comparison piece that you talked about where I just think, oh, it just, I just, I want to make, you know, but there's something really extraordinary about um, expressing using the medium of words, whether it's written or spoken as a form of art. So creating that way and using that as a medium. So my heart yeah, We goes. live in a really interesting time too, because we have all this technology. So there's so many different ways that we can share a message. I mean, podcasting being one of them, but mm. I think about even, um, you know, Instagram and how they have Instagram TV and Instagram stories and, TikTok and, you know, just so mm. many avenues. So I've, I've realized that 
what I pray for is for that core message. And then once I have that core message, it's about figuring out, okay, which are the different mediums or avenues that I'm going to use to share that message. Mm, oh, still kind of that core piece, that story that forms in my heart. Mm, oh, that's so good. I love that because there are, I mean, we are, it's a two-edged sword almost there. You know, it's a great tool and it also can, you know, suck our souls dry. So, you know, so utilizing that so well. So, oh, this has been such a great conversation. I would love for you to share how our listeners could connect with you. How do, how do they find you? Tell us about the book, anything that you'd like for us to know. Okay. Well, People can find me on social media at Darina Gilmore with one L and I mostly hang out on Instagram. I have a Facebook author page as well. And my website is darinagilmore.com. I also have another website that's Darina Kids Books. And so if people are specifically interested in finding out more about the Cora book and other multicultural books, they can find me there. But mm. I'd love for people to look for our book coming out. It's um, Bethany House Baker Books that's publishing Walk, Run, Soar in 2020. Oh, that's so great. We will link up all of those those connection pieces in um, our show notes. So make sure you check those out, listeners. Um, I can't wait. Darina, I hope to, to see you in person very soon. And I'm just so thrilled that our listeners got to get to know you a little bit. And well, thanks so much for your time. And um, I look forward to hearing more about how your story continues to unfold. Well, as we say in Tagalog, Salamat. Thank you. <laughs> salamat. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on Some Days Here. If you've liked what you've heard, please take a moment and subscribe to the show so that each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to rate and review the show so that others can find out about us. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Some Days Here possible. The Some Days Here logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Pham. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The director of design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantelle Reynolds. Have a great week. And we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is Here.